This is the Empowered Athlete Podcast, hosted by yours truly, the one and only Natty Boss, lifelong athlete, sports dietitian, breathwork facilitator, personal development junkie, and holistic performance coach. This podcast is here to change the paradigm of what it means to be a high-performance athlete. The intention and mission of this podcast is to help you create freedom, clarity, and balance in your life while giving you the tools to heal yourself, improve your well-being, and optimize performance. I believe that in order to reach our highest potential in this human experience, we must unlearn and let go of everything we've been conditioned to believe about ourselves and the world so that we can truly tap into what our divine path is and have the courage to pursue the curriculum of our soul. It's my hope that after every episode, you feel activated and empowered to make change in your life that supports you in operating from a place of alignment of who you're meant to be. Get ready for major shifts and transformation. It's time to dive in. Hello, and welcome back to the Empowered Athlete Podcast. I'm so excited for this conversation today because this was requested, and I thought it was an amazing topic for an episode, especially because I have firsthand experience with this, and this is why this person reached out, and I thought, well, if one person is experiencing this, I know for a fact, based off clients I've worked with in the past and my own experience, I'm not the only one that has gone through this and other people can relate. And so this is a really powerful conversation because this is all about our period and more specifically amenorrhea, which is a loss of period. And I want to dedicate this episode to healing amenorrhea naturally and I want to make a few disclaimers. So first, I am not a hormone expert. I am not a menstrual expert. I do not work with this in an intimate setting. And so this conversation is really derived from my own research and my own experience of what I've done to get my period back after having amenorrhea. And I'll be sharing my story as always, because everything I share on every single episode can be related back to something I've experienced in my 30 years of life on earth um, in hopes to resonate with you guys and connect with you guys and help you realize that, you know, I experienced this too. And that's why so much of my mission is to use my experiential wisdom to support others in overcoming whatever you're going through. And so... Before we dive into any of that, I do just want to express my gratitude because so many women and men have been reaching out to me over the past few weeks, just expressing their gratitude in the episodes that I've released so far on this podcast. And I have to tell you how much that really means to me because guys, I talk to a computer, right? Like this is how I'm making my episodes. I talk to a computer. I talk to no one directly. So it's really hard to know if the content is resonating with other people unless people directly reach out and let me know. So if you haven't reached out yet and there has been an episode that's really supported you and you've been making these shifts in your life, please let me know because it makes me so incredibly happy and fulfilled to know that this work I'm putting in day in, day out, week after week is more than just me just putting this information out there, but it's actually being received and it's actually being implemented. It's actually changing lives because that is the purpose of why I created this podcast. And so again, I just want to express my gratitude for those who have reached out and shared 
the shifts and transformations that you've experienced just by listening and implementing from this podcast. Like that means so much to me. And I just didn't want that to go unsaid. So to dive into the episode, let's start with defining what amenorrhea is. So there's two types of amenorrhea. There's the primary and secondary. In primary amenorrhea, menstrual periods usually haven't started by maybe 15 or 16 years of age, whereas secondary amenorrhea is defined as the absence of a menstrual period for three consecutive cycles or a time period of more than six months in a woman who was previously menstruating. And so most of our conversation here is going to go more towards the secondary amenorrhea because of the audience that I have, and we are most likely adults here. And this is what my experience was as well. Um, as I was in high school when I first experienced menorrhea, and as a lot of you know, some of my story of having an eating disorder, that's when I started my eating disorder in high school. And therefore, it makes perfect sense, especially as we go through this information that I'm going to share with you, that I experienced amenorrhea because I was not fueling my body. I was not taking care of myself on any spectrum. And that was a side effect that I was experiencing. And I'll dive way more into detail of when I finally got my period back. Um, and we'll, we'll definitely hit different points as it comes up. But that's kind of where this really originated from me. So I also got my period. Actually, no, I got my period early. Um, I think I was in sixth grade, but it was always irregular my entire life up until I had the amenorrhea where it went away completely. Um, and I don't really know what caused the irregularity. Every time I went to the doctor, they were like, well, this is very normal. Um, it'll regulate eventually. And then years would go by. I'm like, uh, can you define eventually? <laughs> but my mom also had to get hormone induced um, hormones, I guess, when she was 18 to start her period. So I think part of it was genetic as well. But I did get my period at a young age, but it was inconsistent my whole life until I got the amenorrhea. And then finally, it has become consistent now in my adult life. And we'll dive into the whole lifeline of my, my period history, apparently. Um, but first, what I want to dive into is why is amenorrhea a problem? What I'll share from my high school days was when I was first told that I wasn't getting my period and that I had amenorrhea, of course, as a teenager, I was freaking stoked. I was like, yeah, I don't want my period. I don't, when I was in sixth grade, my period was so irregular where it was obviously inconsistent throughout the months, but then during the months, it was so severe. And I would literally on numerous occasions bleed through my pants in school and get made fun of, get teased. And it was the most embarrassing thing I ever experienced. And I was like so used to it. Like every time my period would come, I'd be so petrified because it was so regular that it bled through my pants. So it was definitely unhealthy. There was a lot of lack of balancing in my body, which I didn't learn until later. Um, but it's not cool. It's not pretty. Like so many women that I've spoke with over the years, like they kind of hold this level of like pride around not getting their period because for those, you know, who know, or maybe if you're a man here, you know, it's not pleasant. It's not comfortable to get your period. It's something that we don't necessarily look forward to um, because lots of things change. Our energy, our mood, um, we're just bleeding for a week, right? And that in itself is uncomfortable. 
So there can be like this relief when we are told or when we experience no period, but it really is a negative, negative thing. It is a clear sign of things are going wrong in the body. We are designed to get our menstrual cycle. It is a natural part of life and it's a clear sign of health when you are getting your period regularly and when it's in the natural flow of the way things are supposed to be. So with that said, I want to again highlight why amenorrhea is a problem. So there's a couple things. So bone loss is a side effect of amenorrhea. One major problem caused by amenorrhea is bone loss, especially for younger women. And once bone loss occurs, there's not much you can do to get it back. And insert another aspect of my story. That was another thing that the doctor told me that I was actually diagnosed with osteopenia. So osteopenia is basically the reversible aspect of bone loss. So it's basically a warning sign where you have experienced some bone mineral loss, but it's not to the point of no return. Whenever it gets to the point of no return, that then is diagnosed as osteoporosis. So once you have osteoporosis, you know, you have that bone loss. So being that I was so young, I was definitely on track for osteoporosis, but I was just young. So I was able to reverse that in the years to come that I wasn't diagnosed with that anymore, but I was diagnosed with osteopenia. And so it scared me for a moment, but I was so deep in my eating disorder that I didn't care because the way that my body looked meant more to me than my health. And luckily I was able to have a reality check later in life, but this is one of the side effects is this bone loss. And what happens when you experience bone loss and why it's something worth considering and looking into and, and really prioritizing when you get this diagnosis is that it might not affect you when you're young, like I said, but as you get older, you're going to be more prone to broken bones and injuries potentially even hospitalizations, and even premature death. Like it is that serious. And my doctor even kind of threatened me with that. Like you could die from this. And that still wasn't enough to, to get me out of my eating disorder right then and there at least. But this is one of the reasons why it's a problem. Second is low leptin and estrogen. So the loss of menses is based on low leptin, and this becomes apparent when the low body fat and with low body fat and high body fat and leptin resistance, both will experience amenorrhea. So whether you have high body fat, you can experience this amenorrhea or low body fat. Estrogen lowers when body fat drops and estrogen is a metabolically active hormone and assists with insulin sensitivity which is very important for weight maintenance and overall health. So our hormones are really messed with here with amenorrhea. And the other aspect to that is when our hormones are out of whack for a prolonged period of time, which is also called chronic, this can lead to infertility, which was also something that my doctor told me in high school. And of course I'm in high school. So I'm like, okay, I don't care because I didn't know that I wanted kids. Like now that I'm a mom, like, holy shit, like, Thank God I came to my senses at some point because that would have been devastating to become infertile, mainly because it was in my own doing of just poor nutrition and, you know, poor body care. And this 
So this can actually lead to this infertility. So this is, again, very serious. So I'm really trying to bring this serious tone because it's not pretty. Like I said, this isn't something to be excited about when you don't have your period. It's something to be alarmed by. So to insert a little bit more of my story, when it came to, so I had no period, basically when I had my eating disorder all the way up until, so that was midway through high school. And then a few years went by through college. I actually did not have my period until my senior year. And towards the end of my senior year, right? We graduate in May. I got my period on my 21st birthday, right? What a birthday present. (laughs) And actually it was a huge present for me because at that point I was really trying to undo a lot of the damage I've done. And I was really actively trying to do that throughout college because I knew how bad I had really done myself. But in the beginning of college, I was not actively engaging in my eating disorder behaviors, but I still had very unhealthy eating behaviors. Even though I was pursuing nutrition and dietetics, these things run deep because it was more than just knowing what to eat. It was a lot of the emotional trauma. It was a lot of those coping mechanisms that I was used to for so long and learning how to navigate all of that. And when it came to when I got my period, some of the things that I was doing was eating more food and cooking more so that I could eat more food. I I talk about it a lot that I turned vegan in college. And I believe in retrospect with who I am right now and what I knew about myself then that there was a couple reasons why I would say that this reason is kind of like an added, it was a bonus, but it wasn't my primary reason. So I became vegan because of, you know, animal cruelty as well as just pursuing optimal health. But I believe deep down, if I'm honest, I used veganism as a form of control because it automatically eliminated foods I couldn't eat. So therefore, temptations were gone. So this is what I talk about when I say I still have this disordered eating pattern and thought process because I was like, well, I can't have cheese. I can't have this. So this just automatically is off of my plate and out of sight, out of mind. But it was an unhealthy relationship to those things because it was from a place of restriction and fear and not like I'm choosing not to eat this. It was, oh, well, you know, I'm vegan, using vegan almost as an excuse to pursue disordered eating behaviors. And this is very vulnerable for me to share, right? Because right now I'm in such a healthy place when it comes to being vegan and plant-based. But back then the start of it was kind of a way to be like, okay, I'm not gonna binge and purge anymore, but how else can I control my nutrition? And so because of this, the first couple of years of my being in college, I still didn't get my period because I was still not eating enough to, and I, not to mention I was over training like crazy. I mean, guys, I would spend four to five hours in the gym every single day. I would start my days off at 6am running five miles with a weight vest on. And I would have a couple friends come to me throughout the day and say, Hey, would you be my gym buddy? And then I would go and work out with them. So this would add to about five hours a day in the gym plus under eating, which as we're going to learn, obviously contributes to lack of period. So it wasn't until I really started to eat more food and work out less and more moderately 
and be more intentional with both of those things combined where over time, AKA my 21st birthday, I got my period and I was elated. I had been working on it probably the whole senior year. And like I said, I graduated in May and then in March is when I got it. My birthday is March 3rd. And so it took me that whole year to finally get my things together. Um, but I did it and I was able to do it and it was amazing. And I was really, really excited for it. And it took some time for it to regulate, but then I was getting my period pretty regularly and it was really awesome. Now, one of the things I hadn't mentioned yet, which we will talk about in detail, but part of that process of eating more and working out less caused me to gain some weight. And this was terrifying, absolutely terrifying because I come from an eating disorder background. So being the smallest version of myself was really important for a very long time and gaining weight was absolutely taboo and something I was trying to avoid at all costs. But I, in that moment mentally was in a different space because I really wanted to heal my relationship with food and my body. And I was willing to do whatever it took to do that. And so that meant I had to put on weight and address any of the the negative things that were coming up around that as much as possible. And then doing that healing work to really be able to rewire those thoughts that would come up, um, the body shaming that I would do to myself, you know, all of those things were things I had to navigate as I was gaining weight in pursuit of feeling healthy and becoming healthy. And one of my biggest drivers for that was knowing that I was about to graduate as a dietitian or not quite yet with my, my bachelor's in dietetics, but I was with the intention of pursuing being a dietitian, helping people with their health. Right. And so my biggest core value is integrity. So it felt so incongruent to embark on a career of helping other people optimize their health when I was literally terrible and my health was in shambles. So that was the core motivator for me to like really heal myself because I was like, there's no way in hell you're ever going to see me as a dietitian helping other people. And then behind closed doors, I'm a hypocrite. Like that will never exist in my world. And that was just a big motivator for me. And so I wanted to share a little bit of, about that because it's not something I talk about often. I have talked about it, but it's a very vulnerable thing to share. You know, that was something I had a lot of shame around for a long time was, you know, trying to be this health guru. And then behind closed doors, I was a mess. But, you know, awareness is the first step to change. And the only thing that matters is that you're committed to righting those wrongs. And so I was. So what I want to dive into now is kind of going into a couple causes and solutions for amenorrhea. And they're really all over, but these are some of the things I've noticed. And again, with the research I've done and what I did within myself to actually heal and have a consistent regular period. And I hope this is helpful for you. So as always take notes where you need to pause it, where you need to, you know, process what I'm saying as you need to, because some of this can be triggering and some of this, you know, is maybe resonating with where you are right now. And any of that emotion or sensation that you're feeling in your body, you know, honor that, you know, and just reflect and kind of sit with it and just like let yourself digest and 
integrate the information in a way that feels nourishing for yourself and not overstimulating or overwhelming. So cause number one is unprocessed trauma. And the solution is trauma healing or emotional freedom. If you've been following me for, again, a hot minute, this is something I'm really passionate about because this is what's transformed my life the most. And locked emotions and trauma in the system keep our bodies elevated in inflammation and stress. And what this does is it keeps us in our survival mode, which is our fight or flight mode. And this energy that gets locked in our body from our past experiences, our conditioning and our trauma creates tension in the body. As I said, inflammation, it creates disease and of course, imbalanced hormones. And so when it comes to this in terms of energy, this energy has to be released because it's true that emotions are stored in your tissues. It's literally stored in your soma, which is your body and your tissues. And you can think positive all you want about, you know, pursuing your health, but the information is still locked in your body and you need to release it in order to truly become whole and to truly heal and to truly enter a stream of well-being. And this is really where breath work and somatic work and energetic work comes into play. These are just some modalities that you can utilize and prioritize and practice to help you get back into your body and release that energy. Breath work is this modality that helps you get into your body and move the frozen and stuck energy from our past experiences that's locked in our tissues. It literally liberates it from our body, which creates more health and healing. It creates more spaciousness, more vibrancy, more light. And I literally can't stress it enough because this is the work that cannot be avoided. Again, we often think that like affirmations will be the key to my success. And affirmations have a potent role for sure, but you have to bring the body into the equation because that's where the trauma lives. That's where the energy lives. The dense energy in our system from our past experiences is locked in our system and it's created a specific energetic configuration that forms the way in which we navigate the world, the way that we view the world, the way that we view ourselves. And again, we're constantly stuck in fight or flight if we're operating from a trauma body. And this is only going to ever keep us in a level of survival. We'll never be able to truly thrive. And so another aspect of this unprocessed trauma, specifically with amenorrhea, is traumas around our actual womb. So sexual assault, sexual assault where you, your, your sense of autonomy was taken away and you were abused in that area, there's trauma there. You better believe that there is trauma there and it's locked in that tissue. And that can be one reason why you, were, you may experience amenorrhea. Alongside all the other things, this is more of like from a spiritual lens and like a healing lens um, versus like the, the scientific lens that we'll dive into as well. But this is something I really want you to consider if you have a history of rape or sexual assault, 
um, you know, or just violation, even if it's, you know, minor on the scale, all of that makes us feel unsafe in our body and it keeps us in that fight or flight mode. And so this is kind of why we want to focus on healing in a trauma-informed way, whatever that needs to look like for you, but this cannot be undone, or I should say this should not be avoided. This is something that you really need to prioritize. So cause number one could be unprocessed trauma. And our solution, like I said, is emotional freedom, which is freeing that emotion from our body through the lens of somatic work, which is working with our body, energetics, moving the energy from our body and breath work. It's not easy, but this is something that I would say, if we're going to do one of these things, please prioritize this. And again, get support. Um, with a professional that knows how to help you navigate this in a safe way for your nervous system. So cause number two is chronic under eating and severe weight loss. Solution number two is to increase our calorie consumption to baseline or higher. So basically what I'm getting at here is the cause of amenorrhea is something that I shared with you guys in my high school eating disorder days, and that is my chronic under eating. So if you're not eating enough calories on a consistent basis, no matter if you're engaging in anorexia or, or bulimia or an actual diagnosed eating disorder, if you are just busy and you're just so committed to your work and you end up at the end of the day only eating 100 calories and you don't have a diagnosed eating disorder, it doesn't matter. You're still chronic under eating. So this can lead to that 100% as well as severe weight loss. So again, this is why I'm not a fan of people promoting these drastic weight cuts and weight loss regimens where it's 20 pounds in two weeks for this tournament because this is, you know, I want to get the quick fix of how to do this. You are literally damaging your body in ways I cannot describe. Please, please, please steer away from that mentality and focus on sustainability when it comes to weight loss. Slow, gradual weight loss is the key to sustainability, not only in your weight, but also for balancing your hormones and optimizing your health in pursuit of whatever it is that you're, you're trying to reach, whether it's weight, whether it's performance, whether it's weight class. So with this, you want to avoid low fat foods. You know, you really need to put weight back on your body if you've lost a lot of weight. And I know this is very counterintuitive because you're like, I literally did all this work to lose weight, but you did it in an unhealthy way. So you don't want to have low fat foods. You want to actually have high fat foods. It doesn't mean that you, you know, eat three boxes of pizza to get your fat in, but you want to focus on healthy fats as always, you know, quality matters when it comes to fueling our body, giving our body the right nutrients for uh, hormone balancing and just general health in general. But you also want to focus on high calorie as well. Like I said, you want to increase your calorie consumption to baseline or more. So baseline basically means when you do a calculation of what your needs are based off how much you're working out, then that's your baseline. And you can sometimes start there depending on how much you're under eating. Say for instance, your baseline turns out to be 1600 calories. And then when you record your eating and you notice that, wow, I'm only eating 600 calories a day, that would be a great place to start because you don't want to put yourself in a surplus because your body is absolutely not ready to handle that. 
So no matter what it is, so say we're using the example of 600 to 1600, you need to, again, integrate those foods back in slowly and steadily. That's something that I did in college where I was severely under eating. So instead of trying to get a thousand calories in the next day, which was going to be so unrealistic, as well as there's a lot of fear associated with that, eating that much food, and my digestion would not be able to handle that, I gave myself permission to focus on in, in, incrementally increasing the calories until I met that baseline. And I did that. Again, there's no real kind of direct number that you can use. Everybody can be a little different, but I think a nice sweet spot is about 200 calories at a time. So again, if I start at 600 calories and then for two weeks, I'm focusing on 800 calories. And then after those two weeks, I focus on a thousand calories. So I'm slowly building my body's tolerance and capacity to be able to consume, digest, and absorb more food in a way that's not going to make me feel bloated or make my digestion out of whack. This was really key for me. And also you're going to put on, if you're doing it appropriately and you're eating the right quality foods, you, you will most likely gain some fat for sure, but you'll also build some muscle. So it's not like you're going to just build all fat and no muscle. But again, that comes down to quality. If you decide to do it in a way where it's all processed foods, then you absolutely will gain more fat than muscle in that process, which will just make you It'll really be hard mentally because you're already, you know, needing to go through this process mentally of like being okay with gaining weight. And then if it's really unwanted weight, it's going to be really harder for you to accept yourself moving forward. Not impossible, but there's just going to be more inner work that needs to be done. So this is a great way to recognize, number one, you're going to have to gain weight. Okay. You're going to have to gain weight. And I've worked with a few clients in our programs where they had come to me for weight loss to join the programs. And when I assessed their life and looked at their symptoms, I honestly went to them and said, you know, this is not what I think your goal should be. I don't think weight loss should be your goal right now. What, what I'm seeing based off what you're giving me as feedback is your hormones are out of whack and your body's actually rebelling. And so what we need to do is we actually need to give you more calories and, and get you back to kind of a maintenance weight so that your body can recalibrate and rebalance. And then from that place of health, you'll be able to lose weight because your metabolism will be balanced. And this is, if you can find a coach that does this, they are someone to keep. Seriously. If you just come to somebody for weight loss and they don't assess anything else. And they're just like, okay, weight loss. And I give you this. And you're like, it's not working. It's not working. And they're like, oh, okay, just do this, do this. They're not really listening. They're not really using that holistic approach. And in my eyes, that is so detrimental to your well-being, And it's not somebody that you want to give your money to. So another question that comes up with this particular one, right? And I mentioned it is how much weight do I need to gain to get my period back? And the thing is for most women, it's said that you'll need to gain back the weight you were at the last time you had your period. But sometimes you may even have to go above that. It really depends on a person-to-person -person basis. There's no set number or body fat percentage. Um, you really are just going to know that you've gained enough weight once you get your period back. And again, that could be a little scary because you don't have like that benchmark, but it's, it's about trusting your body in the process. You're if this is where you're at right now, like you're on a trajectory for healing. So you need to just be open 
to what that's going to look like for you. And it's going to look different for everyone, but just be committed to your health and just trust that your body knows how to heal itself when you give it the right environment and the right tools, and you can give it the support that it needs in order to do that. In addition to kind of eating more and adding more fats to your diet, you can also, of course, include hormone-supporting supplements. So this could be matcha powder, fish oil, vitamin D, prenatal vitamins, magnesium. Taking magnesium for hormone balance regulates the cortisol, which is our stress hormone, like I said, when we're in that fight or flight, and estrogen while producing testosterone and increasing DHEA and serotonin. So these are some supplements that you can consider, but of course, I have to put the insertion here that if you're on any medications, you have to talk to your doctor about adding anything else to make sure nothing is a contraindication um, because I don't want to be liable for that. But just something to consider. I, these are pretty safe in general. But again, I don't know if you're on any medications, if it's going to conflict with anything. So you want to ask your doctor when taking any supplements just to be certain. Next cause is chronic and unmanaged stress. And when I'm talking about this, I'm talking more from the lens of training and movement and working out because stress can also be related to trauma 100%. But from this cause, we're really talking about the overworking of the physical body. And so the solution to this is decreasing your intensity and adjusting your training style, which can be, again, very mentally hard for us to accept and wrap our brains around, especially if we do jujitsu, because it, it literally, jujitsu will put you in fight or flight, right? And if we don't actively have tools to regulate ourselves through jujitsu as well as after jujitsu, we're going to be constantly elevated in fight or flight. And we just learned about how that is detrimental for our amenorrhea specifically with this conversation. But when it comes to high intensity, so this is things like CrossFit, HIT, and you guys know how much I love high intensity interval training. But unfortunately, if this is you, when you're doing a lot of that, you have to scale back on that. That was a lot of what I was doing in college was hit workouts of all different kinds. And I did multiple half marathons and Spartan races. So I was definitely not setting myself up for success in getting my period back. Um, so you really want to shift into exercises and movements that are a little bit more nurturing for the body and not as stressful because all exercise adds stress to the body. It's a normal response to exercise is to add stress. And it's in that recovery, as I often talk about, that is where we actually build and heal and restore our muscle tissue. So because exercise creates stress in the body, we want to minimize the stress we're putting on our body as much as possible. So I'm saying this because I have received some questions that do I have to stop working out altogether? And I would say... No, if you can really commit to scaling back, because that's really what it's going to require. It's not only going to require an increased diet, but you're going to have to train less. And that is really what scares people. I know that's what scared me out of my freaking boots was realizing you're telling me that I have to work out less and eat more. Like what? Like I'm petrified to do that because so many of us use exercise as punishment for our food choices and behaviors. 
And so some things that you can try to integrate into your schedule more are going to be yoga, animal flows, intuitive movement, walking. I know that doesn't sound as fun as jujitsu, but if it comes to jujitsu, you know, my recommendation would be, you know, scale back from your actual live rolling and maybe you just do drills, you know, something that's a little bit more easy where it's not, you're not actually fighting for your life. And again, remember that your why for doing this is you're trying to reach optimal health. You're trying to get yourself back into a place of balance, which requires sacrifice right now. And, you know, you can't, what's the saying? You can't cut your pot, cut your cake and eat it too, or something like that. Um, Probably butchered that, but something along those lines. And so that is my recommendation is you would have to cut back on your actual live rolling and focus on integrating all these other modalities of movement so that you can still get your movement in and and nurture your body in that way, but in a way that's a little bit more gentle. Um, So again, if you're doing yoga, you're not going to do 90 minutes of hot power yoga because that's still going to add stress. So something like yin yoga would probably be better suited. Cause number four is a dysregulated hypothalamus. Solution number four is to regulate your hypothalamus (laughs) and to balance your hormones. And again, this, this particular cause here, we're diving into the hypothalamus, but you're going to hear in a moment how it really connects to everything else I just said, such as diet and training and stress management. So this is just like one little zoom in that I want to make because it's important to note it plays such a role in this, but it really is integrated with all the other tips and things that we've talked about so far. But the hypothalamus is our control center of the brain that regulates many bodily responses, such as your temperature, your hunger, and certain aspects of reproduction, including control of the pituitary gland, which has been coined the master gland. And specifically, it releases GnRH, a hormone that works with the FSH, the the follicle-stimulating hormone, and LH, the luteinizing hormone, and estrogen to control menstruation. So we're obviously talking about these menstruating hormones, right? And so this really produces the hormones, these hormones that instruct the ovaries to ovulate. So this obviously makes sense with our conversation because we're talking about menstruation, ovulation, and, you know, having a healthy period. So all of this is affected by our hyperthalamus. So if it's dysregulated, that process is broken. So your hormones become unbalanced when your hypothalamus stops producing GnRH. And GnRH is gonadotropin-releasing hormone. it's, It's a big one. It's a big one, guys. And so just something to think about from more of a science perspective. So reasons that your hypothalamus may stop secreting these hormones include, insert the above that I just spoke about, not eating enough food or restricting food, poor nutrition quality, excessive exercise, emotional or psychological stress, low body fat, or having a diagnosed eating disorder such as anorexia nervosa or bulimia. And as I said, often it's a combination of all these factors that lead to functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is FHA. So like I had mentioned in my own personal journey, exercising too much and not eating enough is the perfect storm for FHA. And 
going back to our unprocessed trauma and the survival mode aspect, when we have this dysfunction here with our hypothalamus, it puts your hypothalamus in survival mode, putting certain bodily processes and functions on hold so it can focus on the most important ones like breathing. So menstruation is a gift because in the body's mind, you're it's extra. It's like you're producing life. So if it has to go for you to maintain more important functions, such as breathing, because if you're not breathing, you're dead, it's going to do that. And so if you're putting your body in such a state of fight or flight for a long period of time, it's not going to be able to have this, you know, excess to be able to support our menstruation. It's only going to focus on literally what we bare minimally need to survive, which is breathing. And some symptoms of hypothalamic amenorrhea that are most common are going to be depression and anxiety, trouble sleeping, low energy, hunger, vaginal dryness, low sex drive, hair loss, and headaches. So this is really interesting because I feel like a lot of these symptoms are something that most of the population has, but we never attribute it to potentially being a hormonal imbalance, but that's exactly what it is. So if we can really commit to balancing our hormones, we're really going to improve our health so much quicker and we're going to just completely feel different from the inside out. And it really comes down to balancing your hormones, which again is a combination of stress management, finding that balance between training and nutrition and working with the trauma in our body and really being open and willing to heal it. And these are some of the things that I specifically had to work with in order to get my period back. And when it comes to where I'm at in my life right now, I had my period all the way up until I got pregnant, basically. And then obviously I didn't have it. And then I finally got it, I would say actually a year after I had already given birth. So it took my body a year after giving birth to regulate, probably a year and a half actually, because I think part of it was um, the breastfeeding. And my body just needed that time to regulate itself. And then I finally got my period again, and it's been consistent since that. Um, And obviously my relationship to food and, and exercise is absolutely like 360 degrees different than when I was in college. But these were the things that I've integrated to really support me in that. And I hope that this is helpful for you. And if you are someone who's experiencing this amenorrhea, And you would really desire to kind of get back to a place of health and you want to balance those hormones again, feel better in your body mentally, physically, emotionally, then these are some of the things I really recommend getting into. And again, as I mentioned in the beginning, like I'm not a hormone expert, but in the resource section of the show notes, I'll put some books that I really love to support you in understanding hormones a little bit better and how to balance that for yourself. These are books that um, I read and they were absolutely life-changing and eye-opening because honestly, I don't even remember anything I was taught in grade school, if at all, since I went to a Catholic high, uh, a Catholic high school and Catholic grade school for a little bit. I feel like they kind of shunned 
any aspect of talking about reproduction because, you know, sexuality equals bad. <laughs> and so I don't remember any of it. So as an adult, I had to relearn all of this. So there's no shame if you are also in the same boat because I was too. Um, and I hope that this conversation was helpful. Feel free, as I said, to please reach out to me. Let me know if this was supportive for you. Let me know if um, or, or what you'd like to see next on the podcast, you know, things that are coming through. Like I said, this was something that came through from somebody who had messaged me and I thought it was an amazing topic for a podcast episode. So I'm always willing and open to talk with the community and see what you guys want and desire to learn more about, and I will make it happen. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode. As always, if there was something that you learned or there was something that really resonated with you, please feel free to tag us on social media at Body by Boss LLC, and we would love to reshare and repost that. And other than that, I hope that you have an amazing, amazing rest of your day, and I will talk to you and see you in the next episode. Bye for now.